Upon this rock, those of you who have been here for a while, you understand that we began that campaign about six years ago. And after a three-year capital fundraising campaign, we made the move out here, and then we began another campaign, and we're on the verge of beginning another campaign. And Monica, bless you, my sweetheart. She told me that she never uh, really resented any money on giving. Those of you who are new here today, we're in the midst of a teaching time on stewardship, tithing, giving, that type of thing. And I know, I know that the number one reason that people don't like to come to church nowadays is because the church always talks about what? Excuse me, money. (laughs) I mean, that is kind of the deal of sorts. And we don't do that much here. And if you've landed here today, you're just in week three, and then we will move on after that. We are going through a book together, Take God at His Word, and if you would like one of these, I have just a few copies left, and your assignment for next week is chapter four, and then we celebrate because we have brought this series to an end. But before we bring it to an end today, money, friend or enemy, friend or foe, if you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 10 is where we're going today, but let me ask you this question, as a kid, did you ever dream of a day that you'd be rich, if so, let me see your hands, have you made it, (laughs) where'd all the hands go, most all of us, I mean, that was a dream as a child, right, to one day be rich, maybe and or famous, I mean, that was kind of our, our goal, and then our goal seems to be shattered as we do life, and it's kind of hard for us to think of ourselves as rich, wealthy, blessed people. There's a website that you just have to go to, it's called globalrichlist.com. And if you go there, and that website, and if you punch in your annual income, It will surprise you where you end in that list of global participation. If you have an annual salary of $40,000, you're in the top 3% in the world in wealth. If you have an annual salary of income of $50,000, you're in the top 0.98% globally doesn't take us very long to understand that we here in America are indeed blessed people. A couple weeks ago, I asked a question in the service of my retired friends, how many had enough money to make it through their retirement? And I had one couple raise their hand. Because we just don't know that kind of stuff, and there's a fear element. And one of the most sensitive things that we have ever to talk about or discuss has to do with our, our finances. But like it or not... Most of us think or talk or deal with money issues every day and probably we have to admit that the church is not exempt from that type of of issue. Here's the way one reporter phrased it. For most of us, money and our feeling toward it are dynamic and intense. We love money or we hate it, we fear it or we worship it, but we certainly never ignore it. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, there is a scripture, a short verse, that is probably the most referenced or the most ignored 
or the most misrepresented in the text, and it says money is the root of all kinds of evil. Are you with me? Is that what it says? It says it's the love of money. Not money. Money in and of itself is neither good nor evil. It's neutral. But it's our love towards that money that can make it evil. And it is the love towards that money that can do us in. Recently I read an article in a paper of a seven-year-old who stole his parents' car to avoid church. It was Sunday morning. It was in Plain City, Utah. The boy got up, and he decided no church today, so he hopped in his parents' Dodge Intrepid and started to make his way through the city of Plain City. He was cruising at a high rate of about 30 miles an hour, and the police were called, and they were following him with their lights going. He didn't pull over. It was kind of an erratic chase because he would speed up, then he would slow down, speed up and slow down. And they realized he had to scooch down to push the gas pedal to speed up, and then he had to pull himself up to see where he was going. He made his way back home, and he parked in the driveway, and he ran into the garage to hide. When they pulled him out, he he said he took the car because it was just too hot to go to church that day. Had nothing to do with stewardship or money sermons or that he just decided it was too hot i wonder jesus spent a great deal of time teaching on the subject of our attitude towards money 16 out of 38 of the parables have to deal with our attitude towards such and that pushes me to mark chapter 10 today i want to start reading with verse 17 very familiar piece of scripture This is not going to blow you out of your seat this morning, but here's what the Bible says. As Jesus started on his way, he had been teaching. He had taught on divorce. He had taught on our attitude towards children. And as he started on his way, a man ran up to him and he fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. And then Jesus said, you know commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and he loved him. One thing you lack, he said, Go and sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Now, if I could take like a 30-second time out here this morning, I want to kind of talk you through some things here. What do we know about this, this person who came to Jesus? The Bible says that he was a young man, and evidently he was a good young man because he had lived up to all these qualifications that Jesus gave him. And evidently he even had a good relationship with his family because he honored his, his parents. And evidently he was quite wealthy, quite successful, a mover and shaker in his day. And evidently Jesus realized as he analyzed this young man that there was something amok. He had 
a lot of wealth, and it meant a lot to him. This is the only place in the Bible that I have ever found where Jesus told someone to go sell everything that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And all good church people said, man, that's good. Evidently, his wealth had his heart. And Jesus knew that. He had the ability to analyze and to make those kind of decisions. And because of that, Jesus knew that he had to remove that from his heart before he could follow him. And here's where it gets, this, it gets interesting. At this, the Bible says, the man's face fell. And he went away sad because he had great wealth. Have you ever seen someone when their face had fallen? Our little grandbabies, when their face falls, that little lip comes out. You know what I'm talking about? I don't know where they learn that. I've seen newborn babies where that little lip comes out. It starts kind of quivering and everybody around just melts, you know. This man, the Bible says, his face fell. He was sad and he went away. And then Jesus said, he looked around and he said to his disciples, how hard is it for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? The disciples were amazed at his words, and Jesus said again, Children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? And then the Bible says, Jesus said, Hey, 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 hey. I'm just messing with him. Somebody go get that guy and bring him back, because we can use that money. We can use him in the kingdom. So chase after him. He's going to be a big player here in the church. Anybody have a Bible that says that? Jesus began to teach again, and then he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And it's all about a heart issue. Jesus is not talking about a camel literally going through the eye of a needle. When we were in Israel, we saw Jerusalem. And we saw some little doors around the city. Doors that were open at night if you were late getting back to the city after the gates had been closed, that was your only way in. And there's no way an enemy army could attack the city because it was too tight a fit, too Hard to get. In fact, a camel would have to get on its knees. Have you ever seen a camel get down like that? You ever been to the Shrine Circus? They do some pretty crazy things. I have seen, I have seen livestock on the farm get down on knees and try to crawl underneath a hot wire that's not even any longer there. So animals can get down and do some pretty crazy things, but it would be almost impossible for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. That's what they call those, those doorways. In fact, Jesus says it would be almost as, as impossible for a rich man to enter the kingdom because of our attitude towards our wealth, and that's where we start here today. Max Lucado says, there's a war in your wallet. There's a power struggle going on in your purse. That green paper called money, those plastic cards called credit, if you aren't careful, they will ruin your life. And I would like to add to that today, if I could, if Max would allow me to do this. 
I think that type of attitude where we love money more than anything or our stuff or our wealth, if that's the type of attitude that we have, it can also ruin the church and God's plan for his church. So today, money, friend or enemy? And if I could, let me start with money as enemy and then end on a better note. Can I do that today? So money as our enemy. Four behaviors which can make money your enemy. And the first is hoarding. Do I have any hoarders here today? Let me define hoarding for you. Because here's what the experts say. Hoarding, if you have a garage sale and friends come over to your garage sale and at the end of the day you have bought more of your friend's stuff than you have sold of your own stuff, you're probably a hoarder. Right now, if you have stuff at home in boxes that you haven't opened for a long time, if you have stuff in your closet that you have not worn for a long time, up in the attic, down in the basement, out in the shed, if you have rented some place to store your stuff, more than likely you are a hoarder. And I know last week I started talking about ladies' shoes just for a moment. But then I started thinking of my shoes. And to this day, my weaknesses are tennis shoes or running shoes and donuts. You know, I can go to the donut bank every day and come back with a whole lot of donuts and have way too many. And I just, I can go in and smell those things and start drooling, can't you? In fact, Debbie told me today she wasn't feeling very good. And I said, you need a caramel macchiato. So I drove over and got her one and got me just a regular old boy cup of coffee. And I got a dozen donut holes for her. When I got home, there were two left. (laughs) I said, hey, these are for you. And she said, is that all that's left? I said, yeah, yep, gone. I have a friend second service who has a running store downtown. Used to be out on the east side. I can just go in and smell the shoes, can't you? And then I realized, you know, I got a pair of golf shoes too. I used to have a pair of softball cleats, but I gave those up and gave them away because, you know, hey. So ladies, I'm just not throwing that out there, but, you know, we like our shoes, don't we? And if you can think in your mind with me just for a few moments how many shirts you have, how many pairs of slacks you have, how many socks you have, how many... And we just don't have one car anymore, do we? We have how many cars? Two or three or four. How many T's do we have? Several. You know, I mean, we, we could go on forever. We are a blessed people, are we not? Like it or not, we are quite wealthy, are we not? We don't like to think of ourselves as hoarders, but I wonder if that's the case. I saw this article. I tried to capture this guy's picture today, but I just could not find it. He's a pilot. He was flying from Port Lemaine to Boston. His name is Henry Dempsey. He heard an unusual noise in the plane, so after they got up in the air, he went back to check it out. He left his co-pilot in charge. When he got back there, they hit some turbulence and he was kind of thrown against the door 
And that was where the noise was coming from. The door wasn't shut properly. So as soon as his body weight hit the door, the door flew open and he flew out. Now as the door opened, a little emergency ladder came out, which I thought was kind of funny. Why would you have an emergency ladder up there? But the article says that he grabbed hold to that ladder and as soon as the alarms went off, the co-pilot radioed for an emergency landing, knowing what was the muck, not knowing that his friend was outside, but knowing that he was in distress. The pilot held on, the article says, for 10 minutes, flying at, I believe it was 400 miles an hour, excuse me, 200 miles an hour, at an altitude of 4,000 feet. And he hung on for 10 minutes, and somehow, when they began to land, he pulled himself up so that he did not hit the runway. And they said they literally had to pry his hands off of the ladder to get him loose. That's kind of an incredible story, you think? You know, I've known people that that was the way they dealt with their finances. You actually had to pry their fingers off of their monies to get them to release it. Our grandkids now, three out of four, one's too little, but they have piggy banks now. Eli was in last weekend, and his nana, my mom, gave him a Halloween pumpkin with a light-up handle. So he was practicing trick-or-treating at our house all weekend. He wasn't after candy. He was after money. Cannot tell you how many times he trick-or-treated me. And I kept going, okay? Okay. Go find Papa. (laughs) Go find Mimi. I don't know how much money he left with, but his little pumpkin head was getting pretty full. And when he got home, he said, I have to feed my piggy. Now, he's four, and he understands that a quarter is worth more than a dime. And we have educated him well, because he is already establishing wealth for him for days ahead. It's our attitude towards money that is usually the culprit. This is kind of hard to believe, but it happened An elderly woman in Israel had hidden money in her mattress for her whole life. Her kids thought they would do her a favor, so they bought her a new mattress, and they took her old mattress to the dump. Evidently, that old mattress that was lumpy had over a million dollars in it. They are still at the dump. I told you folks two weeks ago, I love going to the dump. Now I would really love to go to the dump in Israel. They are hunting, still hunting for her mattress that was thrown away because they thought it was not worth much. Money is not evil or good, it's neutral. And understanding that this is an attitude, it can only push us to a certain level. I have no idea how this rich young ruler, the Bible calls him, made his money. But I do know that he was quite wealthy, quite blessed. And when Jesus realized that there was an issue there, before he could follow, he had to 
let it go. And we in our culture are pretty good at hanging on to things. There's a parable in Matthew 25 of the talents. And you know the one that was cursed by the master was the one who took what was given him. He took and buried in the ground until his master returned. And I believe in the parable, the master says, you could have at least put it in the bank so I could earn some interest. That wouldn't work in our day, would it? (laughs) He would have no interest. So just hanging on to it, it's not really a good thing. It makes money your enemy. Hoarding money makes money your enemy. The second way that money can become your enemy is if we, we waste money. Are you familiar, familiar with Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son? That young man came to his dad and said, hey, dad, give me my share of the inheritance. And we know that the money went to the eldest son and he really had nothing coming to him. He said, give me what's mine. Dad could have said, I don't owe you anything. In fact, he could have taken his life for being such a rude son. Instead, he gave him a chunk of change and the Bible says that he went off to a far land and he wasted his inheritance. And then the Bible says he finally came to his senses and he came back home and dad received him with open arms. Jesus himself taught in practical ways about wasting. If you remember in John 6 when he fed the 5,000, after that feeding he instructed the guys to go up and pick up all the leftovers. Remember? The Bible says they gathered around seven baskets of sorts and that whole number of seven goes a long way but I think my wife would like to think if Jesus were here today he would recycle she's into recycling I'm not so much however he taught in such a way that encouraged and wasting what God has given you can make money your enemy the third characteristic that makes money our enemy is exaggerating its importance sometimes when we restructure our priorities about money last week Matthew 6 32 says the pagans those who don't know Jesus even chase after these kind of things so if you make money your passion you're setting yourself up for disappointment because the bottom line is stuff can't keep us happy forever Anybody here purchase a new car recently? You might as well just go out and dent it somewhere. Just get it over with. Just dent it somewhere so you don't have to park way out there all by yourself. You don't have to go around here. and you Just get it over with and just let things happen and then you can live life the way you want to. You see, if you put your trust in stuff, chances are you're going to be disappointed. Anybody here ever have a basement flood? You know, whenever I watch the news right now, the people out on the East Coast, man, my heart breaks for them, doesn't it? I mean, their basements haven't flooded. Their whole houses are under water. And they say that all that they ever had is gone. So basements can flood. Stock markets can crash. I don't think God is concerned much about the stock market. Oh, we are. I mean, there are pages in the paper. There's things on the internet. You can watch your stocks go up and down. I don't think God is concerned about the price of gas. We were driving across town yesterday, and Deb said, oh, look, the price of gas has gone down. I don't even watch it. 
Because when my car gets to empty, i got to fill it up. doesn't matter what cost. So in my way of thinking, I try to fill it up when I'm about half empty because it doesn't cost me quite as much. I think I'm saving some money. I'm filling up gas a lot. A lot more times, but I seem to think weird that way. Your house can burn down. Several months ago, I told you my mom and dad had a house fire. They had a heater light in one of their showers, and that heater light thing had a problem, and it started to burn, and probably a third of their house was damaged. They're back in now. Everything is hunky-dory, and the contractors painted one part of the house on the outside of the big section, so we're going up this, this weekend, Friday and Saturday. I think I can get it done in a day, and we're going to paint the rest of the house. And everything would be just like new. It wasn't like new for a long time. Stuff smelled like smoke for a long time. They spent a Christmas in someone else's house. But they're back now. But you can't put your faith and trust in stuff. God forbid, but you could have an accident on the way home and your car totaled. Then what would you do? Oh, I know. Go to car number two or three or car number four and things will be better. The Bible regularly reminds us that wealth is fleeting. Solomon said in Proverbs 23, 5, cast but a glance at riches and they are gone for they will surely sprout wings and fly off in the sky like an eagle. In other words, be careful. Our culture is wrapped up in the temporary, not the eternal but it's the eternal that really matters. Put your hope in God. Exaggerating the importance of money can help it make it your enemy. But we get so wrapped up with our emotions, don't we? We were coming home from Schnucks yesterday. It was about lunchtime. And I said, Debbie, it would be great to have one of those take-home pizzas for lunch. And she was thinking about, well, maybe we get one of those Hawaiian kind. You know, but Hawaiian pizza is not real pizza, is it? So I came out with the Meat Lovers Special. Have you got one of those at Papa Murphy's? The thing weighs about four pounds. It's like pizza soft and all these kind of meats and cheese and stuff. And then it's another thing, crust on top of that with more meats. I mean, we probably overcarbed it. And I was feeling pretty good yesterday afternoon. I mean, I could roll over on the couch on one side and then roll over back on the other side. And that's kind of the way I was feeling. We still have pizza left over. We could handle about one piece of that, and then we were done. And we are driven by our emotions. But we can't always trust our emotions. They will mislead us. And the same is true with our attitude towards our wealth. And the fourth characteristic is envying what other people have, can make money our, our enemy. When we see people with money, we're easily impressed because we realize that in America, money is power, money is prestige, money is, is good. People even have bragging rights because they have made it. And most of us have more today than what people had 10, 15, 20 years ago, don't we? And we want our kids to have more than We do. That's what the world kind of teaches. It's been said we exist temporarily through what we take, 
but we live forever through what we give. Mentioned this last week, the average church member in America gives 2.8% of their annual income to the kingdom. So next week we finish out this whole study with a biblical understanding of tithing. That's where it starts. That's the first rung of the ladder. And you know, when it comes to a capital fundraising campaign, I mean, no one expects anyone to do it all. However, there could be some who could do it all. All that I think God expects is for us to do our part, for you to do your part, for me, and to, for us to bring our puny together and make it pretty marvelous for God. I know a three-year campaign is a pretty big deal. We don't know what's happening next year or the year after. Well, no one's going to chase you down for your commitment. That's not the way it works around here. You make a commitment, that's between you and God. You know, I don't even know what people give on a regular basis here. I don't want to. It's not my job. My job is just to preach and teach. I got a finance team to deal with those kind of things. So just a commitment will be made between you and God for three years. And these are monies over and above what we're already giving as our tithe. And that's going to stretch us, I know. But that's kind of the plan that we have so I have one hard question, then we'll talk about how money can be our friend. And Currently, would you say you're doing your, your part? This is harder yet. Could you do better? Could you do more? So now money is your friend. Let's keep moving because it's getting kind of depressing, right? Let's keep moving, move fast. Money as your friend, first off, two ways. First is live simply. Live within your means. 82% of Americans believe that they buy and consume more than they need. And we would probably agree with that, wouldn't we? We buy and consume more than we need. We are locked in. Philippians 4.11, Paul says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I wonder if we can make that statement. That's not what the world teaches. The world says you have to have more. The more that you have, the more that you want, the more. And you know what? You deserve it. We work hard, don't we? We deserve it. That's what the world tends to teach. The number of credit card solicitations made last year in America. Anybody want to guess? Three billion. And I think those all came to my house. Three billion. That's the amount of Credit cards are not bad things. In fact, they can be quite useful. The average household in America, though, has a credit card debt right now of $9,346. Now, that's when credit cards can be not so good. 70% of the people who do not pay their bills in full at the end of the month are living... on more than they have. Living simply means to do things in a controlled way. Does it mean that you can never be extravagant or do something silly or expensive? No. However, 
consistency, seeking contentment, not comparison. The experts say you will live a much better life. Living simple can help make your money your friend. Isn't it great to have a little bit left over at the end of the month? Isn't that a great feeling? Got a little peanut butter in the cupboard, got some strawberry jam. May not have a steak, I got a pound of bologna. At least I'm not eating brown swagger, right? I mean, that's kind of the way we walk through those things. The second way that money can be your friend is if you learn to handle your money wisely. Three ways, then we're finished. Number one is saving. Financial planners suggest 10%. Proverbs 21.20 says, In the house of the wise, there are those who store choice food and oil, but the foolish man devours all that he has. So financial planners suggest that we save 10%. And interesting, the Bible says that we give 10%. So I guess if we do what the financial planners say and do what the Bible says, we're living off of 80% of our income and life goes on. Investing, the experts say spend less than you earn and put the excess to work on what you need instead of against you. You know, marriage counselors say that more divorces are caused by financial stress than by infidelity. It's our attitude towards money. So having a savings account, investing money, that's a good thing. I've saved the best for last. This is the most important of the three. And the last thing has to do with giving, being generous. It's impossible to make money your enemy if you control it instead of letting it control you. And that involves the act of worship, which is dealing with giving. People always feel a little bit uneasy when you start talking about money in the church or money anywhere. They feel you can talk about money without talking about giving, and they're right. It's been said when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that yelps is the one you hit. Cannot tell you how many people have come up to me in the past few weeks and say, hey, you were preaching right at me today. And I would say, no, preaching more at me, and you were just in earshot of what God was talking to me about. But we don't like to talk about giving much because we're just not very good at it. Most of us don't like to hear about tithing and stewardship because it's just hard for us. It's a private thing and it needs to be something between you and God. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever shows, sows generously will also reap generously. Acts twenty thirty five says it's more blessed to give than to receive. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, God loves a cheerful giver. I've had some people say, yeah, but he will accept it from an old grouch, won't he? I think God would say, if that's where your heart is, why don't you just keep your money? Because the Bible says he loves to rejoice and celebrate with those who give with the proper attitude. If it were Debbie's birthday today and I just went out and grabbed something, stuck it in a bag and threw it at her when I walked in and said, hey, happy birthday. Hope it fits. It was like a 
Cardinal baseball hat or jersey or something my size. Would that be much of a celebration for her? Let me help you out. No. And remember, my wife's Italian. She's really Sicilian. So I'd probably get a phone call and I'd be a dead horse head in the bed. It'd be ugly from there on out. That's not the way God expects us to react to him. My grandkids have already started making Christmas lists. They have circled the entire catalog. And when they open a present, it's the greatest thing they've wanted all their life. And it's great to see their eyes light up when they receive. Three things about money. Never forget these things. Who you are is more important than what you have. Number two, if you have, be careful because the Bible says it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And number three, be on your guard. Matthew 6 says, do not store up treasures on earth. Store treasures up in heaven where your heart is there. Your treasure will be also. I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago that Bill Gates makes $33 million a day. Not a month, not a quarter, not a year, a day. Here's what he said in an article. Just in the terms of allocation of time and resources, religion is not very efficient. There's a lot more I could do on Sunday morning than go to church. What will it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world yet lose his what? Soul. find this very interesting. In September... uh, man in Brazil developed what doctors called pathological generosity. Evidently, he had a stroke, and sometimes when people have strokes, it changes their personality. And Dr. Goldstein of Duke University said, although the observation of personality change is not unusual, this particular one is apparently novel. Evidently, he refused to return to his job, and he just began giving away money and stuff and things to random people. His wife said, he's out of control. They call him a pathological, generous man. Got some good news for you today, and then we're done. You don't have to have a stroke to be generous. Now, if you are generous, it might cause someone else to have a stroke. But God has blessed us beyond the nth degree. And maybe what we need to do is learn to celebrate and worship with our generosity. In just a couple weeks, you're going to have a chance to make a commitment for three years. And I hope that you prayerfully begin to consider your role in this thing today. God can take our punies and make it plenty.